This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Tessa, as someone who's from Kentucky, can you explain what the fancy farm picnic is? <laughs> That's a good question. Tessa Duval. Frankfurt Bureau Chief for the Lexington Herald-Leader has covered Louisville and the state. Fancy Farm is actually a fundraiser for a church out in Western Kentucky. It's been this annual picnic for 142 years. We're here at the Fancy Farm picnic campgrounds. In addition to all the barbecue and bingo and raffles and all of these other fundraising things, political candidates and office holders are invited out to speak. Today I will honor the tradition of Fancy Farm with a good bit of good-spirited fun. They get up on a stage and they give these political speeches. And the intent is that there's supposed to be some good natured back and forth between all of this. Not supposed to be, you know, outright hostile. This is a fundraiser for a church, no profanity, nothing like that. So when I say beat, I don't mean in the physical sense. I mean beat like how Steve Bashir beat David Williams and Ernie Fletcher. That's part of the spectacle of Fancy Farm. The booing and the chanting and the cheering and the jeers. My friends, it is good to be back at Fancy Farm. The 142nd annual Fancy Farm picnic started off pretty friendly for Daniel Cameron, the Kentucky Attorney General, who wore a big smile and even bigger ambitions. But the timing of this rowdy meet and greet could not have been worse for Cameron, who hopes to be Kentucky's GOP nominee for governor. You know, Daniel Cameron got up and, and gave this speech, and this comes two days after Attorney General Merrick Garland just announced there would be charges against four officers connected to the Breonna Taylor case. And of course, Daniel Cameron and his office investigated that case at the state level. And so Breonna Taylor, even more so than normal in, in Kentuckians' mind, was front and center. I want you to know that we might be sharing a few laughs today. The chants began as soon as he started talking, if not before. When natural disasters strike, we take off our partisan hats and we root for each other. You could hear Democrats saying Breonna Taylor's name over and over and over again for the entirety of his speech. It was really unlike any other speech that day and probably in a lot of years past, yeah, that, that DOJ announcement really is what prefaced all of this. Attorney General Merrick Garland announced federal charges against four officers over the 2020 drug raid that led to the death of Breonna Taylor. We allege that these offenses resulted in Ms. Taylor's death. The four current and former officers are accused of crimes that include obstruction, falsifying an affidavit to secure a search warrant, and excessive use of force. This summer... Did the Department of Justice pick a good time to announce federal charges against four Louisville police officers for their roles in Breonna Taylor's shooting? Or did Kentucky Attorney General Daniel Cameron, accused of mismanaging the case for the past two years, 
pick a bad time to run for governor. I'm Mary C. Curtis. You're listening to What Next. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I asked Tessa to unpack who exactly is being charged by the DOJ. And to start with the officer, Brett Hankison, who was already acquitted by a grand jury in Kentucky just a few months ago. And it's important to note that those charges were not for Breonna Taylor or her boyfriend, Kenny Walker. They were for three neighbors in an adjacent apartment that his rounds went into. So they went through Breonna Taylor's apartment into a neighbor's apartment, and there were three people inside. That's why he got three charges. Tessa covered Hankison's trial, which was the only state-level trial conducted by Daniel Cameron's investigation. It was unsatisfying to a lot of protesters because, of course, he was not being charged for anything in relation to Breonna Taylor. Now, Tessa, is he being charged with the same crime on the federal level? He is essentially being charged for the same actions at the federal level. Unlike the other two officers who fired shots, Brett Hankison did so in a way that was perpendicular. So these other two officers are firing straight down a hallway where Breonna Taylor and her boyfriend were standing, whereas Brett Hankison ran around the corner of the apartment and fired 10 rounds through a covered sliding glass door and a covered bedroom window. He had no line of sight the way the other two officers did. Yeah, he's shooting blind. Right. So he is facing two counts for deprivation of rights under color of law. And one of those charges relates to Breonna Taylor and Kinney. And the other set of charges is for the neighbors that he was previously charged and acquitted for endangering. There are attorneys out there who say that The fact that the feds are charging Brett Hankison is an indicator that the Department of Justice was not satisfied with how Daniel Cameron's office and his team handled the state level investigation and prosecution of Brett Hankison's actions. The DOJ is looking into how the warrant was obtained and they're charging three additional people, Joshua Jaynes, Sergeant Kyle Meany and Kelly Goodlett. Yes. Let's start with Janes. What do we know about him? So Joshua Janes is the former detective who obtained the search warrant for Breonna Taylor's apartment, as well as four other homes back in March 2020. The whole point of this narcotics investigation was centered around Breonna Taylor's ex-boyfriend, Jamarcus Glover, who had been convicted of trafficking drugs before. And Joshua Jaynes was a detective working this narcotics case. He sought all of these warrants and included Brianna Taylor's by saying that this ex-boyfriend was getting packages sent to Brianna Taylor's apartment. And that ended up not being true. You know, they, that was not verified as Joshua Jaynes wrote on the search warrant. 
with a US postal inspector. And so there's this lie at the center of the search warrant that ultimately sends police officers to Brianna Taylor's house on the night she dies. Well, Kelly Goodlett, his partner, she backed him up. Yes. Yes. So when it comes out that there has been this lie on the search warrant, James and his partner, Kelly Hannah Goodlett, who's also a member of this same unit in within LMPD, they get together and say, you know, we've got to get on the same page. We can't both go down for this. And so they basically come up with their story of how they're going to say that another LMPD officer, Sergeant Jonathan Mattingly, is the one who had the contact that could get the information from the postal inspector and that they both heard him say this particular thing that, in fact, he did not say. And then there was a supervisor, right? Kyle Meany? Yes. And there was a, what is this, place-based investigations unit? So they were all together in this? Right. The charges against these three officers in place-based investigations really focus on how the warrant was obtained, the false information within it, and then the effort after the fact to hide what they knew about that false information. These three officers, Sergeant Kyle Meany, Kelly Goodlett, and Joshua James were all members of the place-based investigations unit. And they were really honing in on this neighborhood where Jamarcus Glover was allegedly doing his drug trafficking. And what Kyle Meany has been indicted for is that he allegedly knew that the warrant had false information and lacked probable cause. And yet Kyle Meany also gave a false statement to the feds. In his recent press conference, Merrick Garland laid the blame for the chaos that unfolded in Breonna Taylor's home on the officers who obtained the warrant, not those who ultimately took her life. Joshua Jaynes, Kyle Meany, and Kelly Goodlett sought a warrant to search Ms. Taylor's home knowing that the officers lacked probable cause for the search. We allege that the Daniel Cameron's investigation started with, you know, police getting to Breonna Taylor's door and focused on that gunfire. But the DOJ and Merrick Garland took a step back and said, okay, well, officers don't go to Breonna Taylor's apartment without the search warrant. And the search warrant contained bad information. We further allege that defendants Jaynes and Meany knew the search warrant would be carried out by armed LMPD officers and that conducting that search could create a dangerous situation for anyone who happened to be in Ms. Taylor's home. That had not been concluded or said by someone in a position of power, in a position to actually do something about it, because Daniel Cameron did not look at how the warrant was obtained. As outlined in the charging documents, the officers who ultimately carried out the search at Ms. Taylor's department were not involved in the drafting of the warrant and were unaware of the false and misleading statements it contained. Merrick Garland drew a direct line between how the search warrant was obtained and Breonna Taylor's death. Could you tell me what happened to the the officers that actually shot and were responsible for the death of Breonna Taylor? The two officers who fired the shots that hit and killed Breonna Taylor, Sergeant Jonathan Mattingly and Detective Miles Cosgrove, were 
not charged by the DOJ. And Merrick Garland said that was because as far as they knew, they were operating with a valid search warrant. They were not a part of the unit that did that investigation. And so Merrick Garland said that they were not a part of getting that warrant or, you know, trying to cover up the lies after the fact, you know, they acted within the scope of the law. After the break, how might Attorney General Cameron's campaign for governor be affected by his handling of Breonna Taylor's case? Stick around. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Attorney General Daniel Cameron filed to run for governor on May 11th of this year. With Breonna Taylor's case putting a cover over his ambitions, I wanted to know more about his politics. Daniel Cameron is the first Republican attorney general in Kentucky in decades. And Cameron positions himself as this, you know, pro-life standing up for Kentucky values. I'm not going to back down kind of conservative. He has really made a name for himself in being a frequent opponent of our Democratic governor here in Kentucky, Andy Bashir. He has taken him to court on a number of things, a lot of pushback over mask mandates, also really fighting to enforce the state's ban on abortion. Unlike the folks he's currently running against, he does have that Donald Trump endorsement, which we've seen in other states can be really valuable. Granted, we're still more than a year away from deciding the next governor of Kentucky, but he is among the front runners. Yeah. And it wasn't a given that he was going to handle this important case, this state level investigation. So how did he become the point man? How did he become responsible? Right. Daniel Cameron's office was the special prosecutor for this case. Typically, a case out of Jefferson County, which is where Louisville is, of this nature would go to the Commonwealth's attorney's office for review. But the Commonwealth's attorney at the time was investigating the shot fired by Breonna Taylor's boyfriend and looking at criminal charges for him. And because of the the high profile nature, the resources that it would take to investigate this, Daniel Cameron's office opted to keep it. Cameron could have handed it off. Right. It could have been assigned to another prosecutor, but his office opted to keep it. 
So tell me about Cameron's process and why it appears to so many that he didn't fight hard enough for Breonna Taylor. There was skepticism from the beginning before anything was known about the investigation or its findings as to how Daniel Cameron's office would handle this, because this is a man who has very proudly backed law enforcement and who is backed by law enforcement. The investigation into Breonna Taylor's death was handed off to Cameron's office in May of 2020, but after months and months of waiting, the only indictment announced was that of Brett Hankison. The officers who killed Breonna Taylor were not indicted. Daniel Cameron said that Sergeant Jonathan Mattingly and Detective Miles Cosgrove were justified in returning fire because they were fired upon. And the scope of Hankison's charges were limited to wanton endangerment. Hankison was given the benefit of the doubt and acquitted. And then Daniel Cameron slipped up. He also said that the grand jurors agreed with that assessment. And that proved to be a mistake. A grand juror saw that statement and said, well, hang on, we actually didn't reach that conclusion. We weren't given the opportunity to consider any other charges other than wanton endangerment. And that is what led to the tapes being released and us actually being able to hear the grand jury process and presentation. And as you've pointed out in your reporting, Tessa, all of these other things, the warrants, the force, the cover-ups violate state law, and he could have chosen to prosecute any of those. Right. There was actually an exchange with Daniel Cameron and another reporter at Fancy Farm over the weekend where Daniel Cameron said, look, I was tasked with looking into if the shots that were fired were lawful and if those officers, you know, acted within the scope of the law. And a reporter pushed back and said, tasked by who? Tasked by yourself? And, you know, just kind of went back to his talking point of this is what we were asked to do. This is what we concluded. This is why we did it. There has not been an explanation from Daniel Cameron's office as to why they did not look into the search warrant other than federal law enforcement was going to look into it. But there was nothing that prevented them from doing that. Well, is there any legal reason that the Department of Justice had to take this on themselves? Not to my knowledge. The FBI announced its investigation back in May of 2020. That's when protests were getting started. A lot of public pressure was ramping up on officials in Louisville and Kentucky to do something about this case. Of course, George Floyd was murdered toward the end of May 2020. That added pressure. I want you to talk, if you could, about the racial dynamic, which is so obvious hanging over this whole case and how it was handled. Cameron's Black, as is Breonna Taylor, her case became a national, perhaps international rallying cry in the effort over police reform. And Cameron has been criticized for ignoring all of those racial politics, claiming these very pro-police, back-the-blue conservative credentials touting his support from Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump and law enforcement, and seeming to write off much support at all from those who are in that criminal justice movement for whom Taylor has become this rallying cry, including many African-Americans in Kentucky. So is that calculated? Will it help him, hurt him, his future as a politician there? I'm really curious about getting to that mood. 
Right. The racial dynamics are at play all over this case. And that is something that Daniel Cameron has very specifically been criticized for by a lot of activists. The fact that he is a Black man who failed to get justice for a Black woman. And he's actually started to incorporate that into his campaigning for governor a little bit. How so? You know, liberals don't like me because I'm a Black conservative. You know, I'm not going to be deterred by the names that I'm being called, things like that. He is basically positioning himself to say that, you know, people wanted me to do a certain thing because I'm Black, but I stuck to the law and I did the job that was in front of me and I did it right. And he has continued to defend how his office has handled this case, even after two years of criticism, even after the federal charges came out. But even though Cameron has the endorsement of dozens of law enforcement officials, it's unclear whether his handling of the case will appease Kentucky Republicans when the primary comes around in 2023. Another obstacle in Cameron's bid for governor is the way Breonna Taylor's case touches on legal gun culture in Kentucky. A lot of Kentuckians own guns. And so there are conservatives who look at what happened to Breonna Taylor. They look at the fact that a no-knock warrant was obtained. They look at the fact that Kenneth Walker legally owned his gun and thought he was protecting himself and his girlfriend from intruders. And these folks take all that information in and say, well, yeah, if someone kicked my door in at one in the morning, I'd shoot them too. That's not an uncommon response among Kentuckians. And so What's clear is that the Breonna Taylor case is going to follow Daniel Cameron for a long time, but to what extent it impacts his political aspirations, that I don't think we know yet. Because there are also people who like that back the blue endorsed by law enforcement approach. He's a very divisive figure. It seems like folks who know his name have strong feelings about him one way or the other. What would a governor, Daniel Cameron, look like? And what would it mean that a figure like that, that divisive, becomes the next governor of Kentucky? An important thing to know about Kentucky is Louisville is already reliably Democratic, is already going to be in opposition to any kind of Republican governor, U.S. senator, what have you. But with Daniel Cameron specifically, you know, becoming governor in a lot of ways would, would be a promotion, right? Like that would be even more responsibility. And they see him as wholly unfit for the job he already has. If Daniel Cameron were to be governor, Breonna Taylor will always be the first thing that many people think of when it comes to him. The first, last, only. Thank you, Tessa Duvall, for appearing on What Next. Thank you so much for having me on. Tessa Duvall is Frankfurt Bureau Chief for the Lexington Herald-Leader. She was previously a reporter for the Courier-Journal in Louisville. On Friday, August 12th, the Justice Department announced a decision by Goodlett to plead guilty. This would be the first conviction for any officer connected with the case. Her testimony could be crucial. And that's the show. 
If you're a fan of What Next, the best way to support our work is to join Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Mary Wilson, Carmel Del Shad, and Madeline Ducharme. We're getting a ton of help from Anna Rubinova, Anna Phillips, and Jarrett Downey. We are led by Alicia Montgomery and Joanne Levine. Filling in for Mary Harris, I'm Mary C. Curtis, columnist at Roll Call and host of its Equal Time podcast. I'll be back in this feed tomorrow. Talk to you then. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets.